Well, good morning. Hey, here at the Bible Chapel, we believe in these five values. We also call them our five essentials. We believe this is what. These are the things that a believer is growing in in their walk with Christ. Word, worship, connect, serve, share. Got to be in the Word on a daily basis. Got to be worshiping the Lord, not just singing, but every aspect of your life honoring Him. Connected with other believers because the Christian life was never meant to be lived alone. Using that gift that God has given you or the gifts that God has given you to serve and always telling others about Jesus. We get to do that a lot of ways here at the Bible Chapel as a church to fulfill those values. But one of the things we get to do every year is Vacation Bible School, and we had a great week of Vacation Bible School. We had about 100, uh, 826 kids register every day. About 800 uh, kids were here, uh, uh, around 790, I think was our average. And so they were here worshiping the Lord and hearing God's word. This place was crazy in here, even crazier than Sunday mornings. Crazy in here with all those kids, and we had a great time uh, worshiping the Lord. And we get people connected also in Vacation Bible School. We had over 500 volunteers who gave of their time this past week to come. And the cool thing about that, not only are they serving as well, but they're getting connected during break times there in the cafe. They're getting to meet one another. And we just think this is a great time to get connected with other believers. And the cool thing is we always do Vacation Bible School for one reason, and that is to tell these kids about Jesus Christ early on in their life. Early on in their life, they trust in Christ. Jesus brings them to himself, and they have their entire lives to live for him. And so this week, as the gospel was shared, we had 162 kids make a first profession of faith for Christ. Yeah. <clears throat> and we had another 86 kids say, you know what, I've trusted in Christ, but I really want to re-up. I want to ded- rededicate my life to Christ. And so we're very excited about that. <clears throat> Every Vacation Bible School, we bring in one of our global workers. And this year, we were privileged to have Reverend Johnson Wambua here. Come on up. <laughs> right after the service in the FLC, Johnson's going to be there, and you have a chance to eat and hear from him. All the things going on at uh, uh, Mathari, the school there, uh, right outside of Nairobi, the slums of Mathari. This guy has a tremendous work there. Uh, pastors, a church, AIC Zion, African Inland Church, also started a school for 600 kids. So we had this goal to help raise $8,000 to build a playground, not only a pr- playground for the school, but also for those to come in from the slums. What a great opportunity to share Jesus Christ. So the goal was $8,000, and our kids didn't raise $8,000. They raised, yeah, $17,000. Pretty cool, huh? Very cool. Johnson, I was thinking, if you can get the kids to do that, I'm bringing you back every week. You got, work, you got work to do here. <laughs> so not only uh, will we have the playground, but bathrooms, yes. and then you have some other money to do some strategic things for the Lord. We're excited about that. Sure. Yeah. <clears throat> so if you're available, FLC, today, 
hear more about um, what's going on in Mathari from Reverend Wambua. Lord, thank you for this man of God standing here. Thank you for the impact and influence he's had on our kids this week. We thank you, Lord, for the way that you have um, uh, worked in lives to, to, uh, to provide for a playground and other things uh, there in Mathari. And we uh, thank you, Lord. It, it's amazing what we can do together. And we pray, Father, that you would be with us uh, as we continue to work together, as we continue to partner with Reverend Wambua and the things he is doing in Mathari and our other global workers, Lord, around the world, same exciting things happening. We pray, Father, that you would bless us today as we look at your word, light a fire in our hearts to be those who demonstrate what it looks like to follow hard after Jesus Christ. We pray that in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Let's thank God again for Johnson. <laughs> Okay, take your Bibles and open them to 1 John, John's first letter. We've been working our way through this book. Today we come to chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 13 through 21, and we're going to see what it looks like to be a full-out, full-orb follower of Jesus Christ. John's going to explain that to us, and then he's going to say, if you are one of those people, if you truly are a follower of Christ, here are two things that are going to happen in your life. We'll look at those today. Let me give you a quick review. If you take out your sermon notes, you can follow along with me on these. Uh, John is apostle of one of the 12 apostles. He was close to Jesus. He says in the first verses of the book that he saw Jesus, he touched Jesus, he saw Jesus, he heard Jesus, and the things he heard and saw, he is telling us in this first epistle. He'll write four other books as well, every one of them focusing on Jesus and this thing called the Christian community. He writes a book for five reasons. These reasons are not just like one, two, three, four, five throughout his book, but they're intermingled together, and so we see them throughout the book. One is to encourage Christian belonging or Christian community. Another is to help believers experience true joy, to help believers from following into patterns of sin, to guard believers from false teaching, and one of the main things <clears throat> that runs throughout his book is to allow believers to know with certainty, without any doubt, with complete confidence, that they are children of the living God. One of the things we have been seeing throughout this book is the need for Christian community. It's more than a need for Christian community. It's what God intended. His church, he said, will survive and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, there are a lot of people, as we think about this uh, 4th of July weekend, there are a lot of people in our country, there are a lot of evangelical Christians who get politics and government and church all wound together, and when they do, that is a very dangerous thing, a very dangerous thing. We are a country influenced by Christianity, but if you look at history and you want to look at Christian countries, it never worked out well. First 300 years of the church, there were persecutions, depending on who you read, six or seven major persecutions against Christians until 313 A.D., Constantine took over the Roman Empire. Constantine 
establish Christianity as the religion. Now, Christianity was never meant to be a religion in the first place. It's a relationship with the living God. But he established Christianity as the religion of the Roman Empire. 313 AD, the Edict of Milan, Christianity was it. Power corrupts and what? Absolute power corrupts absolutely. And in 313 AD, if you wanted to be in the government... You had to be a Christian, and the church started getting appointed people, popes and priests, and they became 313 to 1517. A lot of cathedrals were built that we go look at when we travel in Europe, right? But we also called that the what? The Dark Ages, because Christianity got watered down when you mix Government with Christianity, Christianity always gets watered down. And so in 1517, Martin Luther said, enough of this. And he protested the 95 Thesis on the door. He protested, and we became known, who broke away from the Catholic Church. By the way, Catholic just means universal. We became known as the protesters, right? We still are today. The Protestants. Martin Luther, 1517. Then, 1534, Henry VIII. Anyone ever heard of Henry VIII? Well, cool song about Henry VIII, right? He was married to this lady named Catherine, but he didn't want to be married anymore to Catherine. He wanted to marry Anne Boleyn. So he didn't really like Protestants, so he appealed to the Catholic Church for an annulment on his marriage. Pope Paul III says, no way. Am I going to annul your marriage? And so Henry VIII said, fine, I'll just start my own church. And that became what? The Church of England, Anglican, Episcopal. Henry VIII started appointing his people. And you know what? The first thing he did, he, he, he named himself as the protector of the church and the clergy. And he put all his people in place. And you know what? The first thing Henry VIII did? Gave himself an annulment. Worked out pretty well, right? Power corrupts. And absolute power corrupts absolutely. And so in 1620, there was a group who said, this is as, this is as bad as the corruption that we had under the, the Roman Catholic Church. The Church of England is the same thing. And they were the Puritans. And they became known as the separatists. They separated from the Church of England. They went to Holland first. And the economy there was terrible. They couldn't get jobs. So they decided to come to our country. And we know them as the pilgrims. Think about it. Let's think about it. Our, church, our, our country was founded by people persecuted not by another religion, or not by pagans, but persecuted by who? Other Christians. Because power corrupts. And absolute power corrupts absolutely. And that's why God said the plan is not to be a Christian country. The plan is to have these churches, these local churches of dynamic people who love Jesus in every community around the country, and every community around the world, 
And when that community is on fire, when that community loves Jesus, when that community demonstrates it, you can't stop the spread of Christianity as a relationship with the living God. That's what John is telling us about throughout his book. And today he tells us, here's what it looks like when we are truly a person who is on fire from the inside out, when we have this supernatural thing going. John's been talking to us about love, loving one another. We saw last time in chapter 4, verse 11, if God loved us, we also ought to love one another. And we said that love is not some fuzzy thing that we sing about. It's not some affection we talk about like I love this certain restaurant or I love this thing. Love has three things to it. We saw this last time. First of all, love always begins with God. We'll see today in chapter 4, verse 19, we love God only because he first loved us. Love always begins with God. Secondly, love is actionable. Love is not uh, abstract. It's not philosophical. It's not something we just talk about. It involves action. And we also saw last time, and here's the kicker, love always involves Jesus. Love is always christ centered. Because if we truly love with the love that God has for us, and we know that when we die, there is a heaven and there is a hell, and we know that as eternal souls, we're going to spend our eternity in one of those places, if we truly love people, Jesus, the only way to have that relationship with God and the only way to spend eternity in heaven, Jesus is always going to be a part of that conversation. We're not going to always talk about our favorite restaurants. And Missy's Cinnamon Rose, although I do love Missy's Cinnamon Rose. We're going to be talking about Jesus in the conversation. And so John tells us that today. I'm going to start in verse 13. I'm going to read the first four verses, and we'll work our way through that. John says, when you have this going on in your life, two things are going to happen. Let's read verse 13 through 16. By this we know that we abide in him. How do we know, John? How do we know that we remain in Christ? How do we know that we are walking with God? How do we know that we are in? Because he's given us his spirit, John says. The Holy Spirit lives within us. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the what? The Savior of the world. This we know. Jesus is the Savior. He's the rescuer of our souls. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God abides in him and he in God. And look at verse 16. So we have come to know. We know with certainty. And we've come to believe. And, and we demonstrate in our life the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. So let's just think through this. First of all, John says... By this we know we have come to remain in him or continue in him or live in him because his spirit lives within us. The first thing we need to know that as a believer, we at one time, Ephesians 2 clearly tells us we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were a spiritual corpse. There was no way we could reach out to God. Spiritually dead. But there was a day when God interrupted our life and he sent his spirit to make us alive in Jesus Christ. He not only sent his spirit to make us alive in Jesus Christ, but he sent his spirit to live within us to do for us what we could never do for ourselves, to empower us to live this life that pleases God. 
So the Christian life with the Holy Spirit living in us, having trusted in Christ, looks like this. Story starts with Jesus. In theology, we call this justification. By the way, you need to write this down and you need to teach it to your children. Teach it to your children. Always starts with Jesus. Jesus is not one way to God or a good way to God. He is the only way to God. And when we are justified, we've come to the point in our life where we realize we cannot save ourselves on our best day with our best efforts. We are a sinner. We're in need of a Savior, and we trust in Jesus alone as the one who bore our sin in his body on the cross. That's where a relationship with God starts, coming to the point of trusting in Jesus alone. And it's the Holy Spirit that allows us to do that. The second part is called sanctification. The word sanctification comes from a Greek word that just means holy. How do we become more holy? How do we grow in our spiritual walk? What does spiritual growth look like? We've said many times here, it looks like this, right? Sometimes it is great. We're having the best day ever. We're having the best stretch ever. We're in God's word. We're worshiping him. We're connected with other believers. We're serving. We're sharing. And and other times, man, it's tough. Sometimes it's self-inflicted. We're going through just a tough stretch in our life. Sometimes things come into our life, and we start to doubt, and, and bitterness creeps in, and we start asking God why. Over the long haul, though, there's going to be progress. Over the long haul, there is going to be progress in our spiritual walk. So we have justification, sanctification during our life, and then the last one is when we get to heaven, and that's called glorification. Absent from the body, pre- present with the Lord. Yesterday, uh, Kirk and I were involved in a, in a, in a, in a memorial service, and uh, Irene Clark, and, and, and Irene, we know, when she closed her eyes in death, right then and there, she was with the Lord. Not because of Irene, but because of who? Jesus. And that's the message that we want to share. John says, that's, that's who we are. Do we get that? Do we understand what Jesus has done for us? When we understand what Jesus has done for us, it changes things. It lights a fire in our heart. We want to tell others about the best news of eternity. Also, we have seen as believers, when we trust in Christ, when we remain in Christ, when we abide in Christ, that's the word that John loves to use, abide or remain or continue in him. We know that we become, as Paul says, in Christ. In Christ means we are a Christian. And when we are in Christ, five things happen in our life. That gives us spiritual identity. Here at the Bible Chapel, we like to say safe with two S's. We are significant. We don't have to depend on our job anymore. We don't have to depend on where we live or what we make or what we drive to make us significant. Our significance is found in the fact that God loved us so much, he sent his son to die for us on a cross, and he invited us into his family, and the Holy Spirit lives within us. What could be more significant than that? We are secure. We don't have to worry about the future. We know that in Christ we are secure. Some tough things may happen. Christians are not immune to difficult times, but we know this. When the most important thing happens, when we close our eyes in death, we're going to wake up and see the Savior. We have security. We're accepted. We're in the family of God and will forever be. We are a child of the living God. That's the A, S, S, 
A, F is forgiven. Aren't you glad you're forgiven? God says that he takes, the God that knows everything about everything there is to know, he's omniscient. He says he takes our sin and he chooses to remember them no more because his son paid the penalty for those sins on the cross. We're forgiven. We can live in that freedom and we're empowered. That's what John's telling us here. The Holy Spirit comes to live within us. We are empowered by the Spirit of God that lives within us. Every believer has the Holy Spirit of the eternal creator God living in him or her. That's where the relationship starts. Look at verse 14. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. We came to realize that. Maybe God used the birth of a child. Maybe God used a certain situation in your life. I don't know what God used to open your eyes, but by his spirit, he opened your eyes, and we came to believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world, our rescuer, the one who saves us for eternity. Look at verse 15. When we know that the Holy Spirit has enlivened our dead spiritual corpse and he opened our eyes to see that Jesus is the Savior of the world, we want to tell other people about it, right? Look at verse 15. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God and abides, God abides in him and he in God. We now want to tell other people. The aspect of love always has Jesus in the conversation. So we've come to know and believe. Look at verse 16. So here we are. We have come to know and we've come to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. That's what it means to be in Christ. That's what it means to be a Christian. It all starts with the Holy Spirit opening our eyes. It starts with us trusting in Jesus Christ alone as the only way to have a relationship with God. And because of that, we're excited about that. A fire is lit in our life, and we want to tell others about it. We have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. Man, John is saying we've got to grasp that. We've got to get that. We've got to understand the depth of God's love. And when we do, two things happen in our life. Look at verse 17. By this, by knowing who we are in Christ, we're significant, we're, sit, we're, we're, we're secure, we're accepted, we're forgiven, we're empowered. By this is love perfected with us. Now, that doesn't mean it's made perfect. None of us are going to love with a perfect love this side of heaven. The word perfect, as we saw last time, means love is, is acting out the way God intended for it to be. By this, is, by this love is perfected with, uh, uh, with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in the world. As God is love, now we represent him in the world and we show his love. But because of what God has done for us, we can have confidence for the day of judgment. Two judgments in Scripture. One is the great white throne judgment. You can read about it in Revelation. You don't want to be there. It's for those who have not trusted in Christ. It is, it is the judgment for eternity separated from God, the great white throne judgment. The other judgment 
is called the judgment seat of Christ. Paul calls it in 1 Corinthians the Bema seat. In Corinth, you can go and see a big rock in the, uh, uh, the countries of Asia Minor. You can go see these big rocks, and the judges sit there on that seat. It was called the Bema seat, the judgment seat. And the judge would, would go out and issue out uh, the judgments. Paul says the judgment seat of Christ is for believers. So it's not about heaven and hell. It's about the rewards that, that God will give us for eternity. We can talk about that another time. But for now, John is saying, when you know Jesus and you've been empowered by the Holy Spirit who lives within you, you can have complete confidence for the most important event in all of life. You can have confidence as you stand before Jesus because you know you've loved him and you know it all started because he loved you, what? First. God loves us, therefore we can love him and we can love each other. We'll come back to that in a second, particularly this uh, verse 17. This love casts out or closes the door on all fear. Just hold that, we'll come back. Look at verse 20 and 21. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, so John says, okay, you're in, you're a believer. Just understand the depth of this love. Now let's get practical. First, you can have confidence as you stand before Christ. Now, you got to know that when you truly know Christ and he loves you, that love is not going to be hoarded in your heart. That love is going to flow through you to others. Look at 20 and 21. If anyone says, hey, I love God, man, I love God. I love singing those songs. I, I love the songs we, we did today. Uh, I loved it when that little girl, that was a pretty cool, right? When she came and led us in that song, I love that. I love God and hates his brother. He's a pretender. He's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. In this commandment, we've heard from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Let's start in verse 21. And this commandment we have heard from him. John, what are you talking about? This commandment we've heard from who? John says, the commandment you heard from Jesus. You remember the, the scribes went to Jesus and they said, Jesus, I got to ask you a question. Um, of all the commandments in the Old Testament, and there are hundreds of them, all summarized in the Ten Commandments, but there are hundreds of them. All the commandments in the Old Testament. What's the most important? They thought they were going to trick Jesus. You remember what Jesus said? Mark records it. Uh, he says in Mark chapter 12, Jesus answered, the most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength, with everything you got. And the second is this, you shall love what? Your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Why did Jesus put those together? Because if you understand the love of God, you're going to love others. His love starts with him, flows through us to other people. So John says, don't go around saying you love God. 
That's easy. That's easy, right? You can come and sing songs. It's abstract. No one could ever see it. No one could ever judge it. God never gets sick, so I never have to write a note to him. God never needs treatment, so I never have to drive him to the hospital. Uh, God, you know, doesn't need just someone to talk to for four hours, so I don't have to invest an afternoon over coffee with him, right? God never asks for money. <laughs> he says, I, Psalm 50, I, I own the cattle on a thousand hills, so if I, even if I needed something, I wouldn't really have to come and ask you. So it's easy to say, I love God, John says. You haven't seen him. But when you hate your brother that needs an afternoon over coffee, that needs a ride to the hospital, that needs some financial help, that needs some encouragement, that needs to be loved even when at times they're unlovable, John says that's when you really see God's love flowing through you into the lives of others. See, that's what the church is about, isn't it? God's love flowing through us, loving one another. That does not mean we tolerate sin. That does not mean we don't speak into each other's lives. That doesn't mean because we love Everybody, you know, the Bible gets thrown out the door because, you know, well, we just love everybody. It means we love others enough to invest our lives in them so that we'll have the hard conversation sometime. But a hard conversation doesn't mean we don't like each other. It means we love each other so much that we're willing to do the hard thing because God's loved us so much he did the hard thing by going to the cross and dying for our sins. Let's focus as we wrap up on uh, verses 17 and 18. By this love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in the world. Look at verse 18. <clears throat> there is no fear in love but perfect love casts out fear. Now, the word perfect there again does not mean, um, you know, with, without any error in it. The word perfect means the love that God intended for it to be, his love flowing through us to others. And he's saying there that there is no fear in love but perfect love casts out all fear. And when we read a passage like that, we can't take it out of context. So we have to start with the context that it's in. And specifically there, John is talking about one day standing before Jesus as a believer. And he's saying that when we have loved like God intended for us to love, not perfectly, but the way God intended for us to love, he's saying that that love that starts from God and flows to us, that love gives us confidence as we stand before Jesus. 
and we're going to stand before Jesus knowing he loves us and we love him, and that love casts out all fear. We don't have to stand. Think about it. We don't have to stand before Jesus with any fear because he paid the penalty for our, all of our sin. He brought us to himself. The Holy Spirit lives in us. It's not that we're going to stand there and say, I'm perfect. So we're going to stand there and say, by your good grace, by your love, I saw growth in my, we should be able to say, I saw growth in my Christian life. I saw your spirit working through me. It was an amazing thing. Man, there are a lot of times I missed it. But there was at least a pattern. There was a desire as I saw your love flow through me to others. And John's saying, when we have that, that love casts out, or, or another one commentator says, closes the door on all fear. Okay, that's the context, standing before Jesus. There also is in Scripture what's called from the greater to the lesser. If this is true, right, then everything else is true. If this is true, if the greatest is true, then the lesser things are true. So let's think about that. If the greatest fear I could ever have, what's going to happen after I die? By the way, everybody has that fear, whether they want to admit it or not, right? If that fear, what's going to happen after I die, is taken care of, and I don't have to worry about that anymore, I have complete confidence that I'm going to be able to stand before Jesus Christ and he's going to say, welcome home. Then the lesser fears of my life can be taken care of as well. You guys agree that um, we live in a pretty fearful world. Do you agree with that? Um, it, it seems like, it could be wrong, but it seems like there's more anxiety and, and fear and dread going around now than what I remember in my life. Maybe it's the social media because everything you see on Facebook is really good, right? Beautiful dinner that someone fixed, great night out, beautiful vacation. And you say, man, my life kind of stinks after I see all that. And so we start fearing. Am I missing it? The fear of, of uh, kind of living up to the standard, right, whatever the standard is. Fear of the future. What's going to happen in our life? What's going to happen with our kids? Fear of the future. Maybe it's a situation in a relationship that you're fearing. It's not going well. And so you're just, you, you're living in fear of what's going to happen, and that fear can paralyze us. Fear of insignificance. We can go back through the safe, right? Fear of insignificance. Fear of not having security. Fear of not being accepted. Fear of not being forgiven. Fear of not measuring up. Man, there are a lot of 
marriage is on the rocks because one spouse just fears they're not measuring up. So this passage tells us this. If we've got the greatest fear taken care of, right? Dying and standing before God. That's taken care of. <clears throat> we have complete confidence with that one, right? And God is big enough to take care of every fear underneath that. You can have confidence in him. He'll take care of it. It may not feel good. And certainly there are things in life that bring anxiety. Someone I just talked to in the lobby at an MRI on Friday, and I'm sure that brings some anxiety. But there's a deep down saying, you know what? God's going to take care of it. And even if I die, or sorry, even when I die, <laughs> even when I die, it's all taken care of there. It's all taken care of. If the, if, if, if the worst thing would happen here, I, got, I still have complete confidence before the living God. That gives us freedom. That gives us confidence. And that allows us to live a life truly expressing the love of God truly demonstrating to others we have been rescued by Jesus Christ and I got to tell you about it because when we love people Jesus is always in the conversation when we love people we want to tell them about the one who can give them confidence not only for eternity but for every situation in our life. Worship team is going to come out and sing a song for us. And this song reminds us that when we stand in God's love, when we stand in God's love, that fear doesn't stand a chance. When we stand in God's love, when we understand that he loves us so much that he brought us to himself, that we have confidence before Jesus forever, then fear doesn't stand a chance when we stand in his love. They'll invite us to sing at some point. Think of the words of these songs. This song really encapsulates, summarizes 1 John 4, 17 and 18. So we're going to sing a summary of those verses. Father, I pray that you'd be with us as we now sing from the bottom of our hearts what we've been talking about in your word. And I pray that we would be those, Lord, who live with confidence. Help us to pass it on to our kids. Lord, help us to demonstrate, as parents, help us to demonstrate the confidence we have in you. Help us to demonstrate that you alone are God and you're going to give us everything we need, and you're going to take care of us. Help us to pass that on, Lord, to another generation who then can pass it on to another generation, and we can allow the legacy to live, the legacy of confidence, not a legacy of fear. Be with us, Lord, as we sing your truth back to you.
in Jesus' name, amen. When darkness tries to roll over my bones When sorrow comes to steal the joy I own When brokenness and pain is all I know I won't be shaken I won't be shaken Cause my fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I
We have a team of people who would love to pray with you before you leave. Whatever is going on in your life, it would be a privilege to pray with you and to pray for you. Father, as we leave, we walk out into a world that is fearful. But because of Jesus, because of his love, we can leave here today with complete confidence. And we can demonstrate to a watching world, starting at home with our kids, that fear doesn't stand a chance when we're standing in the love of God shown to us and given to us through Jesus Christ, who by his spirit lives within our heart. And so, Lord, this week we pray that we would demonstrate to a watching world, to an anxious world, what true confidence in Jesus really looks like. Give us an opportunity to have a conversation about Jesus this week, we pray. In his name, amen.